Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS All Access series Star Trek Discovery. Today, we're going to talk about the third episode of season two of Star Trek Discovery entitled Point of Light. But like always, I'm your host, Clarence Brown, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting none other than the Who Story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? I am doing quite well. Excited to talk about Discovery again and glad to be here. Cool. Also, we have over there in Kansas City, uh, the tech historian, Carrie Brown. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great. Greetings. Greetings. Another um fun-filled episode. I'm really pumped. Ready to talk about it. Oh, yeah. And way down there in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, we have <laughs> Jeremy Barrow and Jonathan Shorts. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're oh. we're here. We're we're well. I'm caffeined up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm here and I'm doing well. Uh, probably high off paint fumes. I've been spray painting crap all around the house. So <laughs> <laughs> I bought one can of spray paint to paint something, and my wife starts handing me things out the door, and I've just been painting all night. So there you have it. The uh, Stargate story and the Trek story is high on paint. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> Next week, he'll be the paint historian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, guys, what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek, if you like this show, uh, if you are a fan of this show, we suggest that you subscribe, you know, subscribe to the feeds to make sure you get everything. And also, if you're not already subscribed, do that and tell a friend. Everyone has a Trek friend that they talk to. And if you do have that said friend, go ahead and tell them, the, tell them about discussing Trek. Tell them to subscribe. We would love to have them as a listener to the show. So um, I guess we kind of went around a horn and, you know, kind of got introduction from everybody. But has anybody been working on anything any interesting or has any Trek related news that they want to bring up right now? Uh, this is not exactly quote unquote Trek news, but I found this quite interesting. I was watching season two of The Gifted and I started noticing that Jonathan Frakes and Robert Duncan McNeil have directed several episodes of that. So not directly tied oh, wow. to Star Trek, but just cool that they're directing. Yeah. That, Very I cool. Need to start watching that again. <laughs> I gave up on it. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I honestly did not finish the first season. Um, but, but it was, it was pretty good. It's just long, like network television shows or so many episodes. It becomes a grind to try to stay complete. You know what I'm saying? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way about Agents of Shield too. Cause I like that show. I really used to love it, but it's I do just, too. it's so much to watch and, you know, to have 22 episodes. In a season, there are very few shows I'm going to go back and watch every episode like that. You know, Star Trek is one of them that I will do it on. <laughs> but, so if you don't mind uh, me asking a question, what about Discovery? Do you think that you would enjoy Discovery if it were 22 episodes as opposed to however many we're getting? I, I just think it's much harder. Um you know, as, as me and you and, you know, our co-host Lee have been watching Doctor Who, those 10-ish, 13-ish episode seasons have just been so, so much of a joy to review and watch. And it's not a burden to consume those. And then we move over here to more uh, of the premium channel shows like uh, HBO and Showtime, where you have these seasons that are 10, 13 episodes. I just think that's how it is going forward. And I think we're giving, getting even more used to that as we watch more of the Netflix shows that are again around that 10 to 13 episode uh, arc. Uh, what do you guys think? Is, is 13 enough? Well, I grew up a fan of like British comedies and British TV shows. And that's the norm over there is for like, like one of my favorite shows, Are You Being Served? It had a total of 70 episodes over 10 years. So that, that's just. I think that's what the rest of the world does. And now we're starting to catch up to that, to that kind of, uh, to that model. Yeah. I would rather have the short number of episodes and no filler than have the episodes where they're just like all like 
not doing anything that that's connected to the story for a couple, you know. I'd, I'd rather have the condensed, the, like, meat and potatoes, personally. The quality over quantity? Yes, yes. Yeah, good, good way to put it. Well, see, I'm kind of the other... Well, I guess, yeah, I, I wouldn't want a lot of wasted filler. But, I mean, so it depends on the show, you know what I mean? So, like, I agree with you on the Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, we spent a, way too much time in things that really wasn't important. And we could have done that in a lot less episodes, but something like Star Trek, like <laughs> <laughs> as many episodes as we can get in a season, I'm okay with. Well, the only issue I have with with this 13 episodes of season is that sometimes, like I know I'm waiting on a show called The Crown on Netflix. You know, I'm having to wait. I hear people do this with Game of Thrones. I've never really seen it, but I hear they're planning about that. You know, it's like one or two years in between seasons. Well, you know, they write and film and all that. That's the one thing I don't like about it. You know, I like that, you know, okay, December, it's time for this show to start again. Or, you know, not have to wait so long in between seasons. I I totally agree because it's funny because the math doesn't exactly work out. You're telling me they can do 22 episode seasons consistently, but a 10 to 13 episode season takes like a year and a half to do. Uh, we certainly right. have talked about this a lot in our uh, discussing who episodes of Doctor Who's recent season where we got one Christmas episode at the end of this last season and no more. I mean, sorry, New Year's episode at the end of this last season and then no more episodes the entire year. Right. So, yeah, it's a give and take thing. If I'm going to get less episodes, I would like them sooner. I mean, same thing with. um this past season of discovery though it was 15 episodes so i give it a little more slack you know to to maybe be a little bit longer but if you're only 10 episodes uh be consistent right agreed oh yeah and i have a couple of news items that may be interesting um number one I know we've said this has happened a lot, but this is actually pretty cool now so and i'm getting this off of sciencealert.com uh, the scientists have built like a real replicator that builds objects with light. So it's not, you know, they said this once before at the creation of 3D printing. Well, now this is taking it another step further. Uh, and I just kind of read the general idea of what it's doing, but you can look at the story later. Uh, it builds a 3D image by scanning an object from multiple angles, then projects it into a tube of synthetic resin that solidifies when exposed to certain intensities of light. So in minutes, it can reproduce any object it scans. Theoretically, right now, all it can do is scan small figurines. Wow, that's... I have to see that work. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still trying to play it back in my head. That sounds interesting, though. There's a YouTube video, which I hadn't watched it, um, but it's entitled 3D Printing with Light. And they actually 3D print, they print a replica of the Thinker statue. Ah. So check it out. And the other bit of news, just something interesting on Sci Fi, uh, Sci Fi Wire was on Sci Fi.com. They rank the top 12 sexiest Star Trek characters. I won't read them all <laughs> off, but I do not agree with this list. <laughs> At the bottom of the list, we have Jadzia Dax from Deep Space Nine. Okay. At number 12. All right. Uh, let's see. Captain Picard is number eight. Uh, Ensign Uhura is number five. All right. I already know who number one is. It's obvious. It's so obvious. <laughs> yeah. Is it really? Go ahead. Is Go it, really? yeah, it is. It is. Go ahead. If Go ahead. James T. Kirk is number three. And Michael Burnham is number one. What? What? T'Pol's what? the hottest one. It's T'Pol. I was, was going to say T'Pol, too. Close. It's not even close. Do I need to read the whole list? Uh, just run it down really fast, really I, fast. I, I was okay. looking over his shoulder, so, and, I, and I was surprised who I didn't see on that list, actually. So starting from number 12, I already told you, we got starting number 12 going up. We have Jadzia Dex, Belana Torres, Hugh Colbert, Ensign Sulu, Captain Picard, Benjamin Sisko, Deanna Troy, Uhura, Seven of Nine coming in at number four, James T. Kirk at number three, and Chakotay at number two. What? Michael Barnum at number one. Dude, who 
made this list. <laughs> <laughs> so it's at it's on Sci-Fi. I don't really oh, see who made that. None of those would be on my list. I don't. Dude, I don't how, how does DePaul not even make the top twelve? Like seriously, yeah, I don't agree with that either. Or even uh, Insensato on Enterprise. Oh, I will say I like that this is uh, fair. It has men and women in it, so we can't yeah, be that's called totally <laughs> sexist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if we should even um, venture down the road to doing our own list. <laughs> Dude, this is like when Blake Shelton won Sexiest Man Alive. Really? Really? Blake Blake Shelton's the sexiest man alive? No. No. <laughs> Point taken. Point taken. Sexy has a different meaning these days, I guess. Yeah, when you leave voting to the masses. <laughs> Blake Shelton. <laughs> and I think I want to just veto the episode title and just call this one Blake, uh, Blake Shelton. Just, just veto. <laughs> All right, guys. I want to hit a quick piece, piece of feedback we got from our friend Eric Hetherington in Canada. He's saying he's, he gives his best to the Who-Storian, Tech-Storian, Trek-Storian, and the other storians on the cast. And he says, I want to give you dudes a shout-out. Last season, I listened to I listened to at least four or five Trek podcasts, but discussing Trek stood out as the best. It's the only one I listen to now regarding the Trek universe. And I'll say thank you, Eric. It's uh, good to get your feedback on our episodes. And, yeah, thank you for being a listener, and I appreciate the love. Thank you, sir. Yes, thank you. I'm the tech story, and I support that message. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, guys, I think without further ado, uh, we can go ahead and get into our review of episode three of season two of Star Trek Discovery entitled Point of Light. This episode aired on the 31st, last Thursday, uh, directed by Olatunde Asensami. And, uh, that's the guy who also directed several episodes in season one, as well as the Calypso short trek. A surprise visitor to the USS Discovery brings shocking news about Spock and dresses up past regret, regrets for Burnham. Following the asteroid incident, Tilly struggles to keep a grip on her reality. Morel's authority on Konos is threatened. So guys, general thoughts on this episode without getting too spoilery. Let's start with the, uh, trek story and Jonathan Shorts. Um, man, uh, another great episode, in my opinion. Uh, I like the fact that we've kind of gone back to the Klingons. Like, I was kind of starting to, in the back of my mind, like, what's going on on the Klingon front? How are things progressing there? And that's what they gave us. So, Sweet. What about you, Jeremy? This is not one of my favorite episodes of the season so far. It was still good. I still enjoyed it. But I just have... A few probably minor issues with it that I'm probably overthinking, but um, I'm sure we'll get into those later. And let's jump on over to Carrie, man. What do you think? I just feel like it it's getting better, and not necessarily because the <clears throat> this episode was better than the last, but because the story's kind of taking shape, and I'm enjoying that part more than you know actually analyzing it, each episode on its own. I think the cool thing about this show is that we don't necessarily have to do that. We can kind of look at where the story is going. And like, for me, that's the part that's exciting. Like, I really like where things are going. And what about you, Cal? You know, I think Kerry couldn't have said it any better than what he actually just said. The only thing I will add to that is I'm really liking the fact that I'm seeing a story that is progressing and building week to week that is connected. And I'm really, really liking that. So Add that to everything Carrie just said. Yeah, totally agreed. Um, to me, this story is in sort of like three separate parts. We have the Klingon power struggle going on. We have the Burnham and her surprise visitor and also Tilly's newfound friend person who <laughs> we'll, we'll get into. Um, oh, God. But, 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 Slimer but, from Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> so overall, I think I liked it. I, I really enjoyed the episode. Again, like you guys mentioned, is filling in the story and it's setting up things a little bit more to go uh, forward for the rest of the season. I do feel like this was a lot of a setup episode and maybe tying in some loose ends from last season. Um, in several fronts, which we'll get into. But guys, if you have not seen this episode from this point forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. 
All hands stand the battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. So, guys, let's take it in those parts I just previously mentioned. Let's just talk first about the Klingon power struggle. Anybody care to summarize where we were at the end of last season? Does anybody even remember? It's been so long, long ago. I do. She's she's basically holding the Klingon race hostage with a bomb. <laughs> Was that the basically. iPad of death? <laughs> I kind of I didn't re- exactly remember, but based off of the ending, I went back to do some research, and I don't know how, or maybe I missed. Maybe I wasn't part of the podcast and we talked about it, but there was a deleted scene in season one and like the last episode that kind of fills in a lot for me. Is and, oh, was that the section thirty one thing or was it Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that was so, something they released on YouTube later. Gotcha. I didn't know that. Well anyway, that made me go back and kind of summarize the last bits of the last first season and suffice it to say Federation is wanting Lorel to take over the Empire, and Ash is there to help her accomplish that. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a great idea. I don't really remember what the purpose of it was. Yeah. I mean, to me, the thing that I couldn't really get my head around is, like, how long can you actually keep or stay in power when the whole premise of you being in power is a threat to blow up the planet? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, how how long is that actually going to continue to last? Well, I kind of got the feeling in this episode that that's no longer the case. Like, I think she's kind of earning the respect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no? No. Maybe by the end. Maybe I might could see that a little bit, but not at the beginning. Well, does someone want to talk about the things they did that she's presumably done to kind of band together everybody. Um, the 20 is 24, 24 houses have been brought together and she is now the chancellor of the houses, which I found pretty interesting. But again, like other than the bomb threat, how was she maintaining this power? Are people just jumping on board eventually to, to say she's the chosen one? I mean, I don't, (laughs) I think, I think like I kind of just go back to, the past Star Trek is no no, no chancellor I've ever remembered actually like other than maybe Kalis himself I don't think every cleaner automatically followed the chancellor I think it was just a honor thing like someone had that title and just bound by honor they had to follow but you did have those who just was so against it that they would challenge it and then those challenges were always accepted and they would fight it out that was their culture but i think because she claimed that mantle that that title as chancellor like just because clean arms are clean arms they're going to have to respect that oh uh, see <laughs> okay like, i mean think back to galron as a chancellor if you know what i'm talking about i mean not everybody liked galron and he was challenged a lot when he first started when he first got that title, especially in the next generation. Matter of fact, Picard had a lot to do with keeping Galran in power. And it was the same thing. He was given that title or he got that title. I don't remember how, but a lot of people didn't believe he deserved it or earned it. But he did so while he was chancellor. And anybody that challenged that, he met that challenge head on. Good point. Good point. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Um... (laughs) Me personally, like this, and I'm just, this is going to be a bit like maybe a stretch, but me as being a like anime nerd, like this to me is like kind of mirrors the whole unification of Japan story with like the the warlord, um, the warlords Oda Nobunaga and Tokugawa Yasu. Like to me, this is like kind of the same thing where, you know, you have Takuma who's like, who starts it and, you know, um, she kind of is the one that finishes it. And she, the way she does it, to me, at least from my perspective, is like a bit through like terror. Like she's she's using fear to unite people. And, you know, her intentions are well, but like because she's using that fear, I feel like people fear her, but they don't necessarily respect her. 
and they're looking for ways to like get her out of office. And, you know, as we see in this episode, you know, they're, you know, her, her great challenger, I guess, if you want to call him that, um, I feel like she kind of breaks down like that final barrier to her being able to like assert like complete dominance, but you know, she gets some help. So yeah. Yeah. So the only thing I would add to that is, you know, I was having a problem until Carrie said what he just said. I was having a problem with the whole concept of honor because everything I've ever seen about the Klingon and echoing what was said just a moment ago uh, by Jonathan was, you know, the honor they, you know, you may be called upon to defend the honor, but you do in some way have to defend it. And the ones that were coming to uh, Laurel and trying to take uh, the chancellorship from her really, in my opinion, were not being very honored, you know, like showing much honor. But if you spin it to what Carrie said in the sense of she's basically holding the houses hostage, maybe that kind of throws the honor out the window. Perhaps. Let's just take that idea. We, you know, let's, let's just take the idea that she's in power. Forget about how she got there. She's in power. She Mm -hmm. has a position. When you are in power, we know that appearances are everything. Yep. So how do we feel about Laurel keeping Valk slash Ash Tyler around as second (laughs) in command when in fact the whole movement from Takuma was about uniting the Klingons and remain Klingon. Although we know Vok is a Klingon underneath that human facade. Um, <laughs> he is coming off with this appearance of being a human. How does that look for Laurel? Uh, and, and how do we do we think it's a good move to keep him around? I guess it's a real question. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, just from like before the episode itself played out, at least in my opinion, it's like you already have these people who don't like the fact that you're basically holding them hostage. Why would you give them reasons to poke hole, poke holes in your like your rule, like or your your your, I guess, authority? Like, why would you give them reasons to poke holes and get, don't give them a reason to oppose you, you know, even though they don't want you there anyway. Don't give them like a blatant reason to oppose you. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh. no, totally. Totally. <laughs> yep. And the only thing I would add to that is I think this was done completely as a plot device so that what could happen later in the episode happens later in the episode. Because to me, it seems so out of character for him to one moment be, look at me, I'm all human. And the next one is, you know, I'm Klingon. It just yeah. didn't I jive. Know. I really like that. I really like that. I, I like the fact that it's- he's trying to straddle this fence of, of, of course, his outward appearance. He's going to be human, but he's trying to play the role. And, and really he is Vok. He really is Vok. He has these mixed memories and he's trying to play his <laughs> role. And again, the power struggle appearances and you know we have this massive project that is going to change the face of the Klingon Empire the D7 battle cruiser and she puts him on the project you know as the main <laughs> guy to piss everybody piss everybody else off even more so <laughs> so is there no way to to change him back to a Klingon? Is, is, is he? Is he? I mean, is he just going to stay Klingon Jesus for the rest of the show, or is he going to, or, or get like even like a, a mask or something to you know? This is your prosthetics <laughs> to make you look like that you're a Klingon again, so we don't have this issue. Because you know, like you said, if you're trying to use fear and you know intimidation, but you got this human over here as your second in command to run a pure blood Klingon empire, <laughs> you know, you, well, you would think that at that stage in technology that, you know, there's something that you can do to cover that up. <laughs> Carrie has so funny to say. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what her problem is. Once you go Vok, you never go Vok. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, uh, sorry. 
Somebody just, had to say it, though. I couldn't Somebody help had it. to say it. Let's just be honest. He's getting it on all fronts. I mean, he's getting it from... from <laughs> wait, hold. Yes. He's getting it from Cole Shaw, uh, the father of Cole, and he's also getting it from Laurel. Oh, that didn't sound right. In a sense <laughs> of... In a sense of... Getting what did he say? He felt heart? violated? Did anybody besides me thought he's going to get his neck chopped off when he said that to her? <laughs> I mean, from the clip they showed last season, I agree with him. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. And I am like, so not going to go where I was about to go. So anyway. <laughs> she slipped him some quaaludes. Just so- <laughs> so okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Oh, okay. That's okay. good so um, <laughs> just kind of stand in vain a little bit what what are our thoughts on Cole Shaw the guy who actually you know opposed um, Ash Tyler and Morrell and had this secret uh, idea of putting some surveillance thing in the paint that was on his face paint slash blood <laughs> that was on his face did, 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 did you guys find the whole blood surveillance thing kind of weird yeah that was yeah, very much so that's uh, that's like, like that's like a meteor landing plot device, but eh, it wasn't that big deal to me. It was kind of convenient. <laughs> Very. <laughs> it was a stretch. I mean, we could have come up with something better than that. Like, really? Like, really? That's the that's the <laughs> best way you can come up with to put a listening device on somebody. Like, I'm gonna put some paint on my face, and maybe they'll wipe it off. It's the future. And here's the ne- next thing. If it was that easy to wipe off of his face, why was it not that easy to come off of his hands? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Good point. You know, in the in the in the spirit of John's science analysis, like this is just one of those things where it's like, you know, usually things in Star Trek are kind of like you could think maybe, maybe, right, yeah. Like, this has no. This is like some fantasy stuff right yeah. here. Like it's not. It's not science. <laughs> And that, I think that's kind of where my biggest problem is, because like I just can't, I can't see that happening. That's just, it was stupid. The nanobots, the nanobots <laughs> are in the blood, man. I'd have felt better if he had said nanites. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he just said I have listening devices in the paint on my face, and you're gonna rub it off, and I'm gonna hear everything in the next week. <laughs> anyway. Oh, so. I guess let's just go progress a little bit further in the story. Does someone want to take the, the Vok Lareel love child? Does anybody want to pick that? So no. I, I'm trying to figure out the timeline here. So like, I don't, I don't know what the Klingon gestation period is, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm Googling it. <laughs> well, she, she, she did state that they took the baby and artificially, uh, oh, holy crap, there's actually an answer for it. Did, did you guys okay. Yeah, okay, I missed that part because I, I was just kind of, I didn't see her waddling around any Klingon ship, you know, just, just <laughs> looked like she was ready to drop. She just laid a, yeah, okay. yeah, the baby, the baby was that, born it, in an artificial womb. Yeah. You know, if she just dropped an egg, that's fine. I can get that. I can, I can move on past that. But I'm just thinking if she was like Bellana, one around Voyager for six months, you know, I just, I, I was just trying to figure out like, how you could have snuck that by everybody, except for these monks or whoever that they left him with in the altar in this big room in the middle of, of this temple they were at. Okay, so I have I have conflicting reports here. One says that the Klingon gestation period is about five months, and another says it's about uh, 30 weeks, which is about seven and a half months. So let's split the difference. Half a year. <laughs> so six months. <laughs> Do you think Laurel is like uncharacter- uncharacteristically soft as a Klingon? Because to mm. me, she, in some parts of this episode, she was very, uh, I don't know what's the word. I can't really put my finger on it. She- I've got a word for you, needy. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, seriously, because when you asked me that question, the first thing I thought of was B- Balana. And to me, she seemed a lot more in control, more assertive, more powerful as a character, not not as a woman, not as a Klingon, but as a character. Laurel, to me, this episode in this season, not 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 Laurel from series one, but for season two, she seems. And again, the only word that I can come up with is needy almost. 
Huh. I don't know about needy. Like, like this is the way I'm looking at her is that, you know, at the beginning of the discovery, like you have Vok who is like, you know, in she has like this huge amount of admiration for Vok, right? And they have like this, we find out they have this, you know, this, I don't know what you want to call it, this thing or whatever. So I feel like when she sees Ash, she doesn't see a human. She sees Vok. So she's still holding him, you know, in that high regard. And because of that, like she doesn't want to, because to her, he is a Klingon despite his appearance. So to her, she's not being soft. She is, you know, holding, I guess, holding true to her beliefs. And, you know, the optics of it look horrible for her as a leader, but I feel like that's the conflict for her in this episode is, do I step it up and be a leader or do I stay true to my feelings? And like, that's, I feel like she's just conflicted. She doesn't really know what she wants to do. Mm, Good Um, point. You know, good point. So we have this battle of, um, what's the guy's name? Cole Shaw, which is Cole's from season one's father, Cole, who didn't make it to season two, um, which Cole's father here is played by the same actor, Kenneth Mitchell, which I thought was cool. Um, you have this whole battle and eventually Laurel and Ash Tyler are able to win out after they get help from, um, Emperor Jojo, um, newly appointed section 31 agent. <laughs> um, what do we think of Emperor Jojo as a section 31 agent? And then just maybe if you guys can elaborate on. How do we feel about the look and feel of Section 31 in this episode as we've had, you know, several episodes talking about Section 31? So just kind of go around it and get what your guys thoughts of her in this episode and just Section 31 in general and maybe even about how they want to keep Laurel in power. For me, like to me, Section 31 is like Oni 100 percent. If you don't know who Oni is, Oni is like the black ops organization in the Halo universe where they're just doing all this cool stuff behind the scenes. And like, I'm so ready for her to get her own show and like boss. Like I'm so ready for that. I'm actually more pumped about section 31 in some ways than I am about the discovery store, even though I'm really excited about the Spock thing. I just want to see her do some black ops, like ninja FBI (laughs) stuff. Like I'm like, to me, that just sounds so cool. It could be kind of like a, an action sci-fi type series where it's not necessarily about, you know, discovering new planets or doing the prime directive stuff for whatever it's called. But we're just going to like kick A and take names like that. That's so exciting to me. I'm so pumped for it. Yeah, that does sound pretty freaking cool. Even with, uh, with Ash Tyler on board, apparently now it could be, you know, a really good series. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about the section 31, especially after watching that deleted scene. Uh, and I think Emperor Giorgio is the perfect recruit for them. Uh, I actually see her leading Section 31 at some point. The, the misfits, um, the outcasts is what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> I thought now, was awesome. I, I tell you what, what, what I thought was awesome. The, uh, maybe I'm jumping too far, but the, the ship that they were on toward oh, the end. Yeah, that thing was. This, and didn't it kind of remind you of Vader's shuttle? Um, sort of, with the, because Vader's has the wings that rise up. I can, yeah. I guess I can see that a little bit. Like, that's just what I immediately, like, I seen it, and I seen it, and it started opening up, and I'm, first thing I thought about was, like, Vader's here. Hmm. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't black, and, you know, <laughs> but, I mean, it's still, it was, that was the first thing that came to mind. Oh, I could see it. I can say I, I didn't think of it at the time, but I, I can definitely see how you know it could be very, as I said before, Star Wars esque. <laughs> <laughs> but man, it, it's uh, I agree with Carrie one hundred percent. Man, it I, I love Georgia in that role. Like I really did. I wasn't a really big fan of her starting out. Uh, she was okay. Uh, I didn't really get the hype, but now now I th- I can I can get into that character. Yeah, something else even reminds me even more of Star Wars now that you mention it is like the, mul- <laughs> the, the, the multi-deck bridge, which I guess yes. is not really a bridge, but it has like a lower part in the main section, which I thought is, is very like Star Wars. Yeah. Mm. A lower part in the main section kind of sounds a little console room to me. 
Doctor Who. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which console room are you talking about? Very good, very good, very good response. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh man! So um, we find out that they are going to leave the baby with the monks on a planet called Barath. Now, does that? ring a bell to any of you guys. Actually, Eric Hetherington pointed out an article which I went and read that I didn't connect the whole Point of Light reference from this episode. So, do any of you guys know what that's from, the, particularly? Wasn't that like the, the comic that we reviewed yes. a while back? No, that was the Light of That Kalish. was my assumption. That was okay. the Light of Kulish. Which, you know, my thoughts were to me, it could have been a few things being the Point of Light. First, I thought maybe the Point of Light that landed on Tilly's shoulder uh, could be the point of light. And then I thought maybe the torchbearer can be the point of light, maybe. But this article kind kind of explains it. And we see that the sun went to a planet called Bereth with the monks. So this is from a TNG episode called Rightful Air. Um, I'm just attempt to read this paragraph probably very badly. Uh, oh, but, now but, I remember. Okay. Bereth is a Klingon planet populated by Klingon monks who are known as the followers of Kalish. In the episode, in the TNG episode, Rightful Air, Worf visits Bereth in an attempt to infuse his, his life with some spiritualism. And it is established that the monks live on Bereth to await Kalish's return from the dead. And the reason why they chose to wait on th- that Pacific planet, um, Kalish in ancient times, uh, he told the Klingons that he return, that he would return on that point a lot of light being that planet in the Bereth system. So it looks like here it's a nod to TNG um, here with the whole point of light thing. And I've heard in this article even goes on to say that maybe even the Laurel Vok sun is seen on TNG or even some, I think this is TOS episodes as well um, as a young man. And then later as an old man on TNG. So I don't know, maybe that's far fetched, but I do think it's pretty cool how they're trying to tie it into what we've had before. Hmm. So wasn't there an episode on Voyager when these monks came aboard Voyager thinking was it Voyager? They were thinking Bellana's child was going to be. They, they a, weren't monks. They had left the quadrant like three hundred years prior, if I remember correctly, and. Was I'm not sure if it was Kalos or not, but they were they were looking for the reincarnation of someone, and they thought they that thought they were looking for Kalos, like they it thought was, it was a reincarnation of Kalos, right? And they, I think that was Voyager. Yeah, that was a. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a albino Klingon part of that group, one of the elders. Hmm. I, don't, I don't recall. I'm gonna have to look that up. I could be very wrong. Yeah, I'll, I'll post this article for you guys to look at maybe later. But it it seems pretty cool. Um, so back on Discovery, we're finally back to Discovery after all the <laughs> stuff. Um, Burnham gets a visit from Amanda Grayson. Um, so can someone explain to me the feasibility of Amanda infiltrating Starfleet Medical and stealing medical records that she can't even decrypt? Did that. Mm, I have no. I don't know much about her, but I have no reason to believe that she is capable of doing such a thing. Hmm. No reason to or not to believe. To believe, like I, there's, I, I, like What's I said, her background. I, human living on Vulcan is all I really know about her. <laughs> Sarah's wife, and she she birthed Spock. That's like. <laughs> Well, yeah. In that case, yeah, I'm with you. No, I mean, I just, I, I just don't see. I mean, her only access would be, you know, hey, so, I'm married to the ambassador, right? The Vulcan ambassador. So, like, maybe they get you I in mean, the door. I mean, maybe yeah, she, true. she knows somebody who knows somebody. She may have connections to get somebody to do it for her. Maybe she told them that she was on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan or something. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm going to disagree because I'm thinking the character that we saw, if you just give, in my opinion, just take what we saw in this episode, the determination she had and the backbone that she had, I pretty much say what she wants, she gets. Hmm. 
Hmm. But then again, apparently maybe security at Starfleet Medical isn't that great, Starbase 5, because Spock is, quote unquote, <laughs> able to kill three guards and get away. Which, you know, <laughs> Burnham, uh, Amanda, Pike, as as I, were like, eh, he probably didn't do that. You know? <laughs> so I, I, yeah. I, I guess we'll get more more information on that. What what about the I don't know, the ethic the ethics around Pike allowing them to decrypt the drive. And even after Pike told the the guy from Star Starbase 5 that he is on an urgent mission, the same mission that allowed him to take over Discovery, the same mission that allows Stamets <laughs> to go back in the spore drive despite genetic banding of some sorts, but yet this dude will not give him the records. I'm like, really? <laughs> that, that makes sense. But it, I mean, the only way I could see him doing that is like self-preservation. They're, they're obviously covering something up. We don't know what it is yet, but I feel like he would only not give that information out if it somehow endangered or incriminated him. So, like, I feel like they're covering something up. We don't know what yet, but it all seems really fishy, you know? Yeah, the, like that whole spot kill three people story <laughs> just seemed very on the spot created. You know you, what I mean? You would think something like that with the with Spock's song history that would have been you know mentioned at some point. If, right. if nothing as you know, oh yeah, well he you know he's killed three people, so he and he, he, yeah. would, drop, he would drop was, you and doing nothing, you know. So and he didn't lead up to that. He he just like right. That by was the just way, kinda, yeah. By the way, Spock, Spock killed three out. people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was like, wouldn't you lead with that? Wouldn't that be like when they have an APB out? If like he murdered three people and got away, you wouldn't be send, like you wouldn't send an alert out across the star system or something. He's like, like oh, oh, by the way, he 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 like next snap three of our. You, know? you just have to use next snap. <laughs> Keep bringing it back. So, so we learn, we learn, we learn that um. The reason Spock and Burnham are so distant or their relationship is so tumultuous is that Burnham hurt Spock. She did something to Spock to keep him away. <laughs> Does anybody have any ideas what went on there? Any ideas? Anybody? Well, it obviously wasn't kicking them in the shins on a playground. Like it was something like <laughs> deep. <laughs> But like I'm, I'm seriously, seriously though. Like, what, what could she have done that was that bad to make her quote unquote mother like turn on her? Like, what, what could he, what could it, what could she have done that was legal that would make her be like, oh, I'll like, find them myself. I find out what she could have done to make Spock turn on her. Someone is so logical, like that. I mean, that's purely emotional response. Well, he's logical now. He was a kid, you know? He was still learning, you know, he, like y'all told me last episode, he's half human. Like, he's still trying to, like, come in to, like, his own there. Like, when we see him older, he's already got his, his stuff down. This is, like, him struggling as a youth. Yeah, I you know? saw him slam that door. <laughs> Get out of my room. <laughs> but, but, but. I don't know, man. I can see, I can definitely see Burnham's reasoning for wanting to keep him away. Of course, she had her life. Um, they did a, um, they tried to take her out, the Vulcan logic extremists. So her reasoning was that she should keep, you know, Spock because I guess she cared about him. She wanted to keep him as far away as possible, which I don't, I don't fault her in that reasoning. It is actually very smart for a young lady to do that. But, you know, to the point to where they formed this rift that is almost um, impossible to bring them back together. I find that I'm like, what did she say? <laughs> I really want to know that. And it, it better be good because we get later on the season. It's just like some <laughs> El Crapo thing. I'm like, really? The only thing that I can think of it possibly being like on a serious note is the fact that we learned that her mother gave all her love to Michael and showed none of it to Spock. It had to be. It had to have had have something to do with her mother, you know, her saying mm. something to him about his mother, and like, like she really doesn't love you. Like she, loves she me never loved I'm you. Fully human. She's always loved me more than you. Or yeah. like something like that. Oh, that know? might be. That <laughs> might be. You <laughs> may have it there. <laughs> Speaking from personal experience, I'm pretty sure I've told Carrie he's adopted before. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, man. Uh, How did that make you feel? <laughs> Open <and> old. 
I remember okay, asking Carrie, my to mom, make you like, feel- am I adopted? <laughs> <laughs> Clarence, uh, I had no idea it was in you, man. <laughs> look, my kids will go to each other like every other day and like, be like, you know, you're his least favorite, right? <laughs> you know, he likes you the least of all of us. Oh, man. It's funny because it's, it's true. true. Kids are brutal, man. Kids are brutal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. You shot me, Clarence. I just got to say, you I, shot me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was dumb. Dude, we used to fight all the time until, like, we were both teenagers, and then we just became, like, bros, like, literally in, like, literally and figuratively, we just became bros. Like, I don't know what happened. I must have fell in hit my head or something. I don't I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. Sibling rivalries are so much fun, right? Well, isn't there, like, another, like, brother that Spock has that was in one of the movies that they never yeah, talk S- about? Sabak, that's way in the future, though. So, um... And again, that was by another woman, not Amanda. So, uh, I guess that- Sarah was creeping. Yeah, <laughs> it was creeping. <laughs> but, but yeah, that I think that was in one of the movies. I can't remember which movie it was. It was in one of the movies in the future. But yeah, different woman. And the whole Red Angel thing, like he's been having these visions since he was a little kid. What? Really? Um, I guess we'll find out more later in the search for Spark. <laughs> it's back on. It's back on. <laughs> First spot. Sad trombone. <laughs> well, I, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm kind of like, it's kind of frustrating with this Red Angel thing. Like, we haven't gotten anything else yet. Like, I thought I'd get just a little bit more about that, like, to build it. Like, I'm, I'm kind of sick of it now. Well, I would strap in because we're not going to find out what it is till the end of the season. So <laughs> well, give me something else. You know, like, give me used to it. Work with you know what I mean. But yeah, like, I we mean, can't even sit here and like logically theorize on what or who this may be. Because we got what, nine, maybe ten episodes left of this season, so That's they right. need to kind of, and they they progress none of it for this episode, yeah. except for you know saying Spock has seen them all his life. Because we still got to figure out where Spock is. We still got to figure out the cleanup thing. We still have to figure out the next episode, section thirty-one, <laughs> and then we got to figure out the Red Angels, and then we got to figure out the Spore Drive and Stamets yeah. and Tilly's imaginary right. friend. Like, yeah. there's a lot to cover in these yeah. next few episodes. I'm, right. I'm, I'm gonna say we're probably gonna see Spock the next episode because if you didn't see the Super Bowl ad for Star Trek Discovery, yeah. they like had Spock all up on that thing. So, yeah, we're probably gonna see him next episode. Is my my guess. Well, that, I mean, that's not, yeah, I want to see him, but that's not like no. to you, but to a TOS fan or movie fan, it's huge. I know to us Voyager and DS9 fans are like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll see him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Spock. I'm a, I mean, I'm a great, I'm a big Spock fan, but I mean, we know who it is. It's Spock. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, clearly we don't if he's been seeing these angels all of his life. <laughs> well, he, well, he told us until, you know, 50 years I'm later. I'm more interested in old. knowing what, what are these angels. I'm more interested in knowing what's going on with Tilly and this four. I'm more interested in knowing, what, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We know what Spock is going to give us. <laughs> I mean, they need to go on a show Spock so we can get it out of the way and move on. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and before we talk about Tilly, I'm just going to mention real quick in the Star Trek Discovery book, Desperate Hours, which I did a review of in the feed, in the podcast feed. I forget what episode number, but Spock and Burnham actually reconnect in that book and have a very intimate moment because they share a mind mail between each other and they see each other's childhood through the mind mail. So hmm. it kind of breaks the canon of the book to have this. As a contention point in the episode that they don't know each other really because a few years. Well, I was going to say, does the book happen before the episode, it or happens, is it? It happens like four years before the three or four years before the episode. Uh, say, this is just the writers not keeping their crap together then, because <laughs> hey, well, maybe that the time be, paradox, or maybe that could be the reason. Well, like after, maybe that mind mail something was revealed that she revealed to somebody. May possibly, possibly, because at that point in the book, they had, at that point in the book, they had a similar disconnect. You know, I feel a lot of the same vibes of when they first reconnected in this book is what I'm seeing in this series. And again, the book is fantastic, by the way. They're on this alien ship called the Juggernaut, and they have to go through a series of tests to get to the end of, to get to the bridge of the ship in order to disable it. And they have to pretty much work together every one of these 
obstacles to get to the end. And it's, it's really good. It's really good. And on the last one, they wind up sharing a mind mail to fix, uh, to finish the last puzzle. So the fact that they don't really connect it now in the show, it just doesn't mesh well with me. But, yeah, I guarantee you that's it. She told somebody about this mind mail that they had something. Because that's very private to a Vulcan. Yes. yes. And Michael not being that all gun ho Vulcan. I mean, she tries, but I mean, she could have told something yeah. to somebody else. But, but, but again, yeah, but again, I, I won't belabor it. But again, like in that book, the whole climactic part of it is that they are able to swap positions and experience some of the other's history. So Burnham experiences Spock being picked on as a half-human Vulcan child in school. And and Spock experiences Burnham as she's huddled away in a room while her parents are being killed by Klingons. So they share very intimate moments between each other, but yet now they're still separated somehow. So basically, they do an escape room together and then have a mind meal. <laughs> exactly. That's because that's how you defeat an escape room, of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I guess well, uh, let's let's uh, wrap it up talking about Tilly or Killy or May or whatever the Killy and her friend. Hey, Killy. <laughs> I love you. All. So I was waiting for that. Your uh, eyes are dripping. Oh god! <laughs> so Killy is continuing through the command training program, and she can't go on because of this, this vision, this person that she keeps talking to, and you know she fusses out Captain Pike, but she's really talking to the vision. Uh, what What are you guys' thoughts on the whole Killy? May spore entity thing, you know, uh, anybody. Well, I'm glad they finally did something about that spore that landed on her shoulder from last season. I'm glad that actually came into play because if they just left that alone, I'd have been kind of because they put too much focus on that to not do something with it. So I'm glad they did something with it. And I, I just maybe I missed it, but where did the the visual of this friend come from? When she was trying to remove the sample of that asteroid and it hit her, right? Right. I mean, I know where like the whole this thing started. I just, I'm just like the, the visual representation of this score. Uh, somebody just, friend from school, yeah. From the, was it was it just just a random childhood you know? memory? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's somebody from her school that she used to that friends people used to pick on or something, yeah. and they became friends because she was very timid and shy, and I guess they were the same. So, so for me, this this episode or this interaction is proof positive of how far Tilly has come as a character for me, because seeing her and seeing this other character that Carrie did an amazing voice of just a minute ago <laughs> was like as irritating as uh, as Tilly was to me in the very first episode and having the haterade for that character <laughs> and seeing her now be this other side of that and this other character where I just want to like kick her or something. <laughs> yeah. That, it, it, it got very irritating that like, I was okay with her last episode with this episode. I was like, man, why are you not listening to me, Tilly? And <laughs> what I yeah. say, Tilly. It looked like that accent just got thicker in this episode. Right. Like, I, I don't know, but Kudos to the acting on Tilly's part. Like, that was some amazing acting. Yeah. yeah. I, I forgot her name, her actual name. Mary Wiseman. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, just to pull that bridge scene off. Oh, yeah. So that, good. That, that, yeah, that was awesome. And then just to end it with the, I, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, no, Tilly. I'll be captain one day. Don't do it. <laughs> They're kind of wearing that in the ground. I don't know if you guys agree with me. I'm tired of hearing about you're going to be a future captain or I'm going to be a captain one day or I don't know. Like we know, I don't know. I'm just tired of hearing it. <laughs> Might be, like I get, it's be cool to see the journey. See the journey. I can't see her yeah. being the captain of anything but the USS Sesame Street. Like I just don't. <laughs> I don't see her as the captain, man. Wow. I just don't. <laughs> I do. I really do. Kelly's going to kick butt, dude. <laughs> Quit hate. I mean, she did. Man. She did make an awesome, 
uh, make believe Captain in the Mirror Universe when she had to stand in. So I mean, uh, it's in there somewhere, dude. It was hilarious when Pike was like, "What's wrong with you? You're not talking. I never heard you not talk this much." He <laughs> said, like "You're using uh, far less syllables." <laughs> oh yeah, that's what he said. That's what he said. Yeah, that was so great. So great. And once again, he is an excellent captain. Yeah. Yes, this is yeah, Pike, he is. Pike Light. <laughs> He's grown on me a lot in the few episodes that we've had him. So yeah, I'm down now. And of course, um, Stamets does what Stamets do and excises the entity thing within Flammer uh, Tilly, which I thought you know was pretty cool. So I guess you know that's another mystery that John you mentioned earlier. That's going to be a mystery that unfolds to see uh, what this entity actually is. So many mysteries on so many fronts, man, to uncover in in this season. So, you know, a lot of good stuff set up. We just got to see it all play out. So, And something else I kind of read through some reading I was doing this afternoon that's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, we had a big, well, not a big thing, but, you know, we kind of had a conversation about the use of hollow projector technology and its place in the canon and timeline mm -hmm. uh so what has been suggested and i can't and i apologize to whoever put it out there i don't remember where i read it but you know kind of showed the they made it important to show pike talking on the view screen and the guy said you and my grandmother are like the only two people still using this technology <laughs> yeah so that kind of explains maybe could explain why we don't see it in future series because you know pike being a popular captain and he, you know, when whoever, like the most popular person, like people tend to follow. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if this person is against this, then nine times out of 10, everybody else is going to be against it or not used to it. Right. And then you got Kirk following Pike and Kirk was probably by far the most popular Starfleet captain. And of course, his his he's following Pike. So he's like, I'm not using a view screen. Either. Right. It's a snowball. Right. So I, I'm. They're saying, you know, hey, the technology technology was there, just no one ever used it. Yeah, and like also to me, like another thing that kind of separates, and I've thought about this a little bit, but this the thing that separates the hollow technology that we see in these um in, in Discovery is that it's mostly just projection and it's more on a small, singular scale, you know, just this one little small thing here, or I'm project right here. It's not it's a big leap to me technologically to go from just a light projection into something you can touch and feel, which is what we get in an actual holodeck, you know? So to me, that's a big jump. That's a big but jump. where, where it wasn't a big jump was Cisco using it as a new technology on the defiant. Really? It was the exact same technology, exact same uh, projection. Uh Oh, well, yeah. Darn you. Maybe he was trying to bring it back. <laughs> So, I mean, but that's part of what this article okay. was like. Like, maybe they technology was there, just, you know, Starfleet probably never used it. Uh, they also made mention that probably because of the way that this worked in the system, it made it hackable or easier to, for someone to intercept, communicate. Right. Because of the holographic, because of the, the amount of information a holographic image transfers, it's like hard to hide that. And another theory was that this is Section 31 technology or uh, Section 31 took over this technology. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, even I can certainly see, you know, sometimes in, in in times of crisis or when a big security flaw comes up, we fall back into the, you know, the basics of that technology. Right. So, for instance, like this recent iPhone vulnerability that we have, FaceTime vulnerability. You know, if there's a vulnerability in that that we can't really get around, what are we going to do? We're going to drop Stop. down to making regular phone calls. Right. So, so maybe oh, something. Hallelujah. So, so, so <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe something hap happens in Star Trek Discovery Future that is going to be like a big flaw that they can't get around that they have to drop to more primitive technology. That that could be it. You know, you know, Defiant was built with like because of the need they like threw in a. Mm -hmm. uh, what they call it, a cloaking machine. Right. You know, that they shouldn't have from the Romulan. So, I mean, it's probably all kind of technology they didn't supposed to use or they stopped using it. They just 
thought to throw in there to help the, help Captain Cisco in the Dominion War. Cool. So, I mean, it's some explanation there, maybe. All right, guys, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I appreciate you guys being on, but let's go around the horn. It, well, real quick, does anybody have any more comments before we get off of the episode? I think it's been a fun review. I think we pretty much covered all the high points. Anything else? Yep. I can't wait for next episode. Yes. Me too. Me too. Do so, we think Tyler is going to be going to accept the invitation to Section 31? He should. He fit, he's he's got misfit. nowhere else to go. Yeah. Like. <laughs> She says for the Mitfits, the outcast, and he is certainly one of those, you know, human looking Klingon, you know, that he fits. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. So let's go around a horn and get what everybody has been working on. And I'll stress this again. It doesn't have to be podcast related. It could be what you're watching, you know, uh, what's your latest show that you're into. But I'll start off first with um, with my brother, Carrie. Well, um, right now. Uh, well, since you're asking about what we're watching, um, I'm watching two things. They're both anime related, so I apologize in advance if you hate anime. But the first is a series called Sword Art Online, where they have um come up with this thing called a soul translator that basically makes a copy of your soul and places you into a virtual world that is, that is indistinguishable from real life, which is a really interesting concept. And they've taken people... They've taken souls, digitized them, and they call them these things called floodlights where these four people like took this. They they basically cloned the souls of babies. They digitized them. And then these five people or so it's like maybe 10. They went into this virtual world, raised these digital souls. Right. And then they had these digital souls had kids and kids and kids. And then they became like this huge world. And now like these people are living there and autonomously. Um, and it's really interesting, like just from a sci-fi mm. perspective about like interesting. how they've developed this. And really the reason they're doing this is for AI controlled like machines. Um, mm. but they're having problems. Yeah. It's, it's a really, really cool concept. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. And I'm also watching something called how I got this time I got reincarnated as a slime, which is basically this <laughs> dude who gets stabbed in real yeah, life and he dies. And then he wakes up and he's basically in an, um, a fantasy world and he's a slime and he has like all these cool powers. Really, really interesting shows if you're into that type of thing. But yeah, that's what I'm watching. So yeah. That it's sounds a lot track. like that, uh, black mirror episode we watched. Well, the beginning of it anyway. Hmm. Like the guy that was making like copies of people in the game. Yeah, that is similar. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I mean, which sounds like the anime just like takes that all the way out, like plays it all the way out and makes a world out of it. Probably be a lot better than Black Mirror. But anyway. <laughs> very, very good stuff. All right. Well, John, what have you been working on podcast later otherwise, man? Oh, man. Not much of anything. I think we're going to try to get a, uh, episode of J&J starts talking off tonight. Um, but other than that, only thing I can say, I watched the first episode of Hannah, which is Amazon Prime original. Oh, I want to see that. How is it? Uh, it was pretty good, actually. I, I, It was one of those things like you get through with it and you're like, crap, this is a regular <laughs> TV show, not a movie. And I have to wait to see the next part. Like, it was really good. I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. You should watch it. Sweet. What about you, Jeremy? <laughs> um, I may have been just trying to catch up on uh, the blacklist. Oh, so because I because I watched an episode over here with Jonathan uh, last week, and I'm like a season behind. I was like, oh, I got to catch up because I'm not sure what's going on here, but it's still a really good episode. So, and but, you know what's great about this season that James Spader is back in a courtroom. I really because so, yeah because of from Boston, Boston Legal. Legal. So now we're getting the best of two of my most favorite shows. Like it, it's awesome. Sweet, sweet, and that and like you said, we're going to try to do an episode of J and J start talking again tonight. So that's that's really all I got. What about you, Cal Jones? Podcast leader, otherwise, man. Uh, this weekend, I had the privilege of talking to a gentleman from Mad Cave Studios, and that um, episode number twenty-seven is out on discussing comics right now. So if you're a comic book fan and you're tired of superheroes. Uh, check out this podcast. Listen to Mad Cave Studios because we've got some interesting books. So, yes, uh, discussingcomics.com. 
Yes, and I'm going to appoint everybody to check out Techpedition. I botched last week's episode, but we will be doing another episode this week. <laughs> um, so check that out at tchpedition.com. And the thing I've been watching, I've been watching like 1959 Twilight Zone on Netflix. It, it It's pretty good. I mean, it is like the spiritual, not successor, but precessor, precursor to like Black Mirror and all these other, the Outer Limits, things like that. Um, I'm really enjoying it. So, yeah, that's the Twilight Zone OG on Netflix. Hmm. All, right. all right, guys. Well, thanks for everyone that's been listening. Please send feedback to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any of the social medias. Thanks for listening, and until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe.